Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Run Out Radio, brought to you by Border Billiards, OBQs. And by the way, they have cues now, not just shafts. And, of course, our good friends at Tiger Products. I'm Jerry Forsyth, and I am joined, as usual, by Mike Howerton. Mike, how are you doing, buddy? Doing well. Well, we have returned alive <laughs> from Super Billiards Expo, and... Um, you know, that's always such an interesting event. There's so much going on there, Mike. And the thing this year was we didn't get snow or ice, and that may be the first time ever for that event that we had really good weather. Worked out well. That's the first time I'd ever been to that event. That's uh, It was quite an eye-opener. Well, it's um, several floors of vendors and tournaments. There's all kinds of tournaments play going on. There's amateurs all over the place. There's pros playing in the pro player championship. There's artistic pool going on. There's break contests. There's challenge matches. It's it's really, really exploded since Alan first Alan Hopkins, of course, the promoter, since Alan first cranked this thing up uh, what, ten years ago or eight years ago. I do think the traffic due to the economy, the traffic was down a little bit this year. Um number of people, but uh, I talked to the vendors, and their sales uh, were not hurt, especially the higher-end vendors. Uh, people selling uh, more expensive goods um, did really quite well. Well, there were some amazing cues out there. Um, really, what jumped out at me was that that uh, set of chess cues that Sam Sarah had put together. Those were some of the prettiest cues I've ever seen. Those were gorgeous. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the uh, Deshaw booth resting my back because he had an empty chair that I could sit in. <laughs> and uh, Dan Deshaw is really putting out some gorgeous work this uh, now as well. I mean, I mean the cues have always been beautiful, but the things these guys are making now—Deshaw and Chudy and Samsara—and just I mean, you can just go on and on. It's it's the the art level of these cues has gotten way beyond what I had ever imagined it could. Um, they're just, you know, the sad thing is you'd never want to hit a ball with one of these cues. They're just too pretty. Oh, yeah. I've, I've got a very small collection of cues, and I have a, a cue that I play with. I won't say that I play very well with it, but, you know, I'm happy to play with the cue that, that I'm comfortable with, and those other cues are just there to look at. Yeah. Well, in the tournament scene there, the big tournament, of course, was the Pro Players Championship. Yes, it was, and um, it came as no surprise. Um, I, I mean, I, it's it's kind of, it's gotten to be a, a, a like a broken record. I mean, Shane Van Boning just, if he's playing well, nobody can touch him. Uh, Rodney, Johnny, Ralph, Mika, none of those top players seem to be able to reach his level when he catches any sort of a gear. Um, Sean Wilkie had an amazing tournament. Uh, second place finish and the hot seat uh, for for Sean was huge. And, and I hope that his second place finish is one of those things that gives him the confidence that he needs moving forward and, and playing in these events in the future. But um, Shane just seems to be a different class of player right now. Yeah, he, he really seems to be just right on the knife's edge, exactly where he needs to be. And he's not showing any signs of weakening or falling off. So... Um, it's just it's just fun to sit back and watch him play. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to look back on on this period of time. You know, this this couple of years, five or six years down the road, it'll be fun to look back and and think about the things that he's accomplished. Um, but I think it's going to be very difficult for a player to come out right now and really push him back consistently. I'm not sure that anyone has the ability to do it right now. Um, now, we've talked in the past, and, and this whole thing goes through phases, so this may just be an extended phase for him. I, I hope not. Uh, on one hand, I hope not, because I think it's a great story, but on the other hand, 
for the sake of the other players, maybe it would be better if, if it was just a, a phase. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> well, in addition to pros, we had hundreds of amateurs, and I think we need to give a tip of the hat to Jerry and Nadine Mazzola, who were the tournament directors uh, for the amateur events, and I didn't hear a single complaint the entire week, so they did a great job of running that amateur show. Oh yeah, 750 plus players in the amateur open, and some of these guys, I understand that if you're not top 32 on the UPA or top 32 on the WPBA that they were considering you an amateur player, but these guys were not amateur players. Uh, I mean, Tom D'Alfonso, I believe he's won a, uh, a turning stone event in the past. He's won numerous Joss tour stops. Uh, Bucky Suventhong just won a Joss tour stop over the weekend and, and they took second and fourth. I mean, Chris Futrell who won the tournament, We've seen his name a number of times. I mean, these guys oh, yeah. have been there before. And I realize we're talking about the amateurs, but I'd like to back up for a second. There was also an invitational women's event that was won by Ga Young Kim. Just yeah. like last year, early in the year, Ga Young came out strong, and this year she's doing it again. Uh, she beat Allison, and everyone was kind of expecting it was going to be an Allison Fisher, Kelly Fisher finals, but... It was Ga Young and Kelly, and Ga Young took the win. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how she does in the first real major event, which is just getting ready to get started, uh, the Amway Women's World Nine Ball Championship. Yeah, that's cranking up as we speak in Taipei. Right. Should be interesting. Now, speaking of interesting, I want to let everyone know right now, do stay tuned for our interview segment. We've got uh, Hall of Famers Ava Lawrence and Nick Varner with us today, and they're going to be talking about the upcoming Hall of Fame. Sorry for the change of subject there, Mike. <laughs> Not a problem. Um, going back to the amateurs, the Amateur Women's Players Championship, 125-plus uh, players. Uh, Bo Rajong won the tournament. She defeated... Zinni Panju. Uh, Zinni is another one of those regional players that we've seen quite a bit of. Um, is that uh, the Bo Ra from Korea? I believe so. I'm not sure. I was watching more of the men play. There's so many tables and there's so much going on out there. It's it's hard to keep track of everything. Okay. Uh, the seniors, 350 players. Tony Rodriguez won that. He defeated Dennis Bolella in the finals. Um, I don't know. None, neither of those players really jump out at me as uh, players who competed on uh, on Miz's tour. Do the names mean anything to you? No, they're mere children. They're only in their fifties. <laughs> uh, Tyler Adelini won the amateur juniors. There were sixty players or in the fourteen and under category, uh, and eighty players in the eighteen and under category, which was won by Richard Barney. It just amazed me how many players, I'm a West Coast person, so I'm more familiar with uh, the BCA event in May, and, you know, you can't walk around there for a week in Vegas without seeing somebody with a case on their back, but there were players in Valley Forge, I mean, there were 14-year-old kids that that were breaking and running racks on a regular basis. I mean, these kids could all play. It was really... It was really an eye-opener to me. Well, I know. I watched an 11-year-old girl just pocket ball after ball after ball and get shape every time, and it was like she was taking a walk around the park. It was nothing to it for um, the the generation that is coming up now that I think will be led uh, by Ko out of um, Taiwan. Um, they're really going to show us how to play this game. I don't think we've seen anything yet. Well, when you refer to the 11-year-old girl, I'm assuming that you were referring to Taylor Reynolds, and That's I did want to give a shout-out to Kelly Fisher and Quickfire, who quickly scooped up both Taylor and Jonathan Castillo, uh, two players who played out in Valley Forge. Uh, they are now referred to as the Quickfire Kids, and Quickfire oh, really? is sponsoring them. Slick! Way to go, Kelly. Yeah, so that's that's a great story. Yeah. I, I had not known that had happened. I think that's fantastic. 
Well, there were some uh, there were some tournaments outside of Valley Forge. Um, Dennis Orcoyo seems to be having another hot streak. He won the San Miguel Beer Quezon City Nine Ball Championship, and then followed that up less than a week later with a win at the Japan Nine Ball Open. Japan Nine Ball Open, more than 200 players. That's always a huge event. Um, I know Ralph has won it in the past, and Ralph has been having a very good year. But uh, Dennis. Dennis seems to go through these streaks where he gets on a roll. He might win a tournament and get that confidence, and, and he'll win two or three tournaments after that. So he's playing real strong right now. Number one on the WPA ranking list, Whirlpool Association ranking list. Yeah, and, and for good reason. Yeah, and we should mention that you and I will be able to watch him in person, in action here in about two weeks, because you and I are going across the big pond to uh, the United Arab Emirates, to Fajara, to the WPA World 8-Ball. We are the press officers for that event. We'll be covering it and sending out news to all the news organizations around the world, and we're putting, we're putting video coverage of it every day on AZB TV. So I can't wait. Keep up uh, with that. Dennis will be there, Ronnie Alcano will be there, Shane will be there, Ralph will be there, Oliver Ortman, Corey Duell, Ronnie Wiseman, uh, Jasmine Ushan will be there. That's going to be a fun story to cover. Yes, it is. And I should feel right at home in the desert. <laughs> yeah, you should. We're going to get to go on a desert safari. <laughs> It'll be like uh, walking through my backyard. We'll see how your webbed feet do in that sand. <laughs> Um, let's see. We mentioned the um, 2008 Amway Women's World Nine Ball Championship. That is just getting started as we speak. We are recording this on Monday. Uh, they are in the midst of the qualifying rounds. Uh, two players qualified yesterday from Korea. Uh, two players qualified today. I haven't posted the story yet, but by the time you hear this, the story will certainly be online. Um, Miyuki Sakai was one of the players who qualified. I'm kind of surprised she didn't receive an invite just based on her playing ability. Um, but that's going to be another. That's going to be the biggest or the the first real major event for the ladies. Uh, Allison is there. Guy Young is there. Shouting Pan, Shin Mei Lu, who doesn't play on the WPBA, but she plays in these uh, large events and has won this event before. Uh, Jasmine will be there. I looked over the list of players, and I didn't see Karen Core mentioned. Now, the World Championship, if I remember correctly, is one title that has always eluded Karen, and I find it very interesting that she's not there. That is interesting, or strange, uh, that she would not be there. We'll have to see if we can get her on the line and find out what's happening with that. Yeah. Um... Of course, there's always something strange going on in the world of pool. <laughs> For instance, I found it strange that uh, the Philippines, which has one of the strongest stables of players of any country in the world, could arguably be said to have the strongest stable of players of any country in the world. For the upcoming World 8-Ball Championship that you and I are going to, they got no slots from the APBU. All four of their players had to go beg for wild cards and get wild card slots uh, from the WPA or the uh, promoter. The uh, APBU did not see fit to give the Philippines a single slot for the World 8-Ball Championship. Boy, I sure hope this doesn't have anything to do with... Uh all the political turmoil that's going on over there. And, and I don't mean political outside of billiards. I mean political inside billiards. I hope that that is not what's causing this. Well, I'm going to bet you it is, and we'll find out and report it once we get over there. Uh, speaking of the APBU, uh, they announced the Qatar World Open Nine Ball Championship, which will take place June 27th through July 5th in Doha, Qatar. This is an interesting tournament, $150,000 prize fund. It's not a world championship, but it's being ran just like one. Mm -hmm. 
players have to right. qualify through their their country's associations. There will be qualifiers, 96 players playing round robin down to a single elimination board. It's it's very interesting. I mean, that's that's a very positive, or at least it appears to be a very positive development that they're behind billiards enough to to throw 150,000 plus whatever the costs are in holding the event uh, towards a, a major nine ball event. The Middle East seems to be a new stronghold for pool. I mean, it was begun by our friends in Fujara, and uh, it's spreading through the region. Yeah. Well, you mentioned strangeness in, in billiards, and well, we, we had more than one story. I, I guess it wouldn't be... I guess we wouldn't be really talking about the news if we didn't briefly mention what happened with uh, Fabio Petroni at the Super Billiards Expo. Um I walked into the tournament arena just at the end of that, and it was definitely a scary sight. It was very frightening to see a friend, and Fabio is a long-time friend, uh, stretched out on the floor with, with blood pouring out of his head. Um, it, it just, you know, one of, the, one of the posters on the forum had it right. It shows you the kind of stress that you can have generated upon you in this game. I mean, you fly all the way over from Italy, you get into your first match, and the balls don't roll your way, um, you make a couple of bad shots, and you snap. Yeah. And that was one of the worst. I mean, I've seen a lot of guys snap at the table. You know, usually it's a, a cue smashed over the side of the table or uh, a stomping out of the room or, or, you know, an ugly resignation. But uh, to strike your head against the edge of a table, uh, especially one that's as hard as, as the diamonds are made out of that diamond wood that you can bounce balls off of without denting, uh, that's like driving your head into steel or stone. And um, I'm glad that um, the doctors were able to diagnose um, a, a disorder um, and uh, he, he'll be able to be treated for it. Maybe that'll uh, help prevent these outbursts in the future. But uh, never would have expected it uh, from Fabio. Well, I certainly hope that, that they're able to prescribe something or, or through counseling or something, he is able to get that under control. Uh, Fabio's a great player, and we hope to see him back at, at major events you know, playing at his top form. Yes, we do. Apparently, one of the snooker players over in China must have noticed the whole thing with Fabio and decided that oh. he was losing his reputation as being the loosest cannon in uh, the billiards world. Uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan. Blew it. What's, what's Ronnie been up to? Well, did you watch the tape of it? I did. To me, it looked like, you know, he had the microphone down in his lap. For most of it, and for, for the beginning of it, right. and he was just he was just chatting with his buddy there, who was sitting beside him, <laughs> and he had grown tired of how long it was taking the Chinese translator to translate questions and answers and all that, and he was he was really wanting to get out of the room, and so he made some lewd remarks. So, um, and 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 his buddy, I think, egged him on kept him going because it almost looked like it was going to stop after that first remark, but his buddy giggled or punched him in the side or whatever. And Ronnie expounded on it and it got, it just got really ugly. And it, it got, you know, when, when finally he pulled the microphone up to his mouth and, and made some really bad remarks uh, that he thought no one would understand because, uh, no one in the room spoke English. Well, everybody on YouTube seems to speak English. Yeah, last time I looked, the, that video had been watched over 50,000 times. Um, in the real bad timing category, I find it interesting that this is a player who had expressed his displeasure with the game of snooker and didn't 
had kind of indicated that he might be cutting back on the tournaments until he received a reported six-figure sponsorship deal from a watch company in China. So he's in the country that he is being sponsored out of, and he's doing this. It, I'm just thinking he might have been able to pick a better time to uh, to decide. I don't even know how to describe it. I mean... I would bet you we'll be reporting the end of that sponsorship deal. I would not surprise be surprised you. at all. Yeah. I mean, I will admit, when I watched the interview, there were there were some interesting, you know, besides the his quote-unquote outburst, um, you know, they seemed like they wanted to try to bait him into saying something. They kept saying, you know, it didn't look like he was trying real hard, and how could he have enjoyed the match if he lost? And it was a very good answer from him, saying, look, I enjoy the game of snooker. It would have been better if I'd have won, and I probably would have enjoyed it more, but I was playing snooker. I mean, this is somebody, you know, it, it kind of goes back to that thing that, you know, we're supposed to all be playing pool because we enjoy it, and, and some people don't play it like that. And whether he was being 100% uh, honest or not, it was an interesting answer, just trying to explain, look, I was playing the game of snooker. I enjoyed playing it, and things could have been better, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, they did seem to egg him on. One reporter asked him why he made two mistakes in a row, and Ronnie said, because I'm human. Yeah. But Nevertheless, we cannot um, say that it's okay for him in front of cameras and microphones to say what he said. No, absolutely not. And and we're not, we described what happened with Fabio. We're not going to describe what happened with Ronnie. If people haven't been following it on the forums, it's being talked about all over the forums. And... You know, I received a couple emails from people saying or indicating that they found it interesting that we didn't report the Fabio thing on AZ Billiards. That is, That was a conscious decision. There have been stories in the past um, that we could have certainly broke, but that's not the business that we're in. We're in the business of reporting the game of billiards. We're trying to be a positive thing, and and Fabio did not need the entire world being told immediately of what was going on out there. Now, that was just my opinion. There were other sites that that felt differently, and, and that's fine for them. They were reporting the news, and, and that was a decision on their part. But at one time, many, many years ago, I wondered if there was enough news in the game of pool to keep a website like AZ Billiards going. Well, there is, and I don't think we have to report every negative story that goes on just to be on top of everything. If I, I I agree with you, and it's like going to a NASCAR race. There are people who go to watch the racing, and there are people who go to watch the wrecks. We go to watch the racing. Right. Well, there was one other uh, one other event that took place that did not get reported on AZ Billiards, and I have to mention it because I took pride in mentioning this in the past. The second annual AZ Billiards Challenge Match took place after Valley Forge. Um, Jerry, could you tell us what happened? Uh, well, my memory's not that good, but I, <laughs> I, I, I do remember walking away with the victory. Yes, it's, so we are now tied at one apiece, and there will have to be a, um, a, a tiebreaker at some point in the distant future. Well, my my partner is, is getting on in the years, and, and he is being very forgetful towards what happened after he annihilated me in the nine ball event there there was a third challenge uh, jerry I, I, oh. I have you tried to selective amnesia that out of your mind yeah i have yeah i can understand why oh because while jerry did win the nine ball challenge and and, and yeah he won seven one you know it, it happens you know everybody has it's it's like derby city i mean in a short race anything can happen that's what they tell me there was a third challenge, which was 10-ball. And, Jerry, could you remind us an article that you wrote a while back on uh, AZ Billiards about 10-ball? And, and was it was it 9-ball that you said was dead and needed to be buried? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's, that may be true. Yeah, so 10-ball yeah. so would obviously be a much better um, display of someone's talent on a pool table, correct? 
Yeah, you're really digging it here, aren't you? <laughs> yes, there was a 10-ball challenge, race to five, because in 10-ball, you know, a, a race to five would, would be... And, and and I believe that went double hill, right? <laughs> yes, it did. It went hill, hill. <laughs> and I eked out a victory to keep a two-to-one lead in our challenge matches, and we haven't even touched on playing on a bar box yet. Well, I think we bored our audience enough with that one. <laughs> okay. I think we have. Uh, do we have a couple of guests? As we told you earlier, we have a very special interview segment today. We're interviewing two Hall of Fame members, Nick Varner and Ava Lawrence, and we're going to be talking to them about the upcoming Hall of Fame elections. Nick, Ava, are you guys on the line? We're here. Hi, guys. Yeah, I'm here. This is All Nick. right. All right. Well, Ava, let's start with you. The ladies who were nominated for the Hall of Fame this year include Belinda Calhoun, Mary Keniston, and Vivian Villarreal. Can you comment a little bit on your experience playing these three players? And you've got to tell us, do you have a favorite for the Hall of Fame? Um, on the women's side, well, I mean, these are three phenomenal champions. There's no question about that. You know, in, in my, the height of my career, I competed against all three of them. And um, Vivian Belinda are still out there. Mary um, ended up uh, retiring. She had, uh, you know, as you know, a bad accident. Um, Right. got very sick and, and had to retire. But the other two are still very much out there playing well. You know, if I had to choose one over the other, I mean, just looking at uh, presented with the information as far as who has won what and has done what, uh, on paper there's no question that Belinda has uh, the majority of titles, including world and national championships under her belt the other ones also have won uh, you know and they all deserve to be in the hall of fame the question is when it comes to the hall of fame is when i mean if you look at this complete list obviously i'm going to be um voting on the entire list not just the women um right and it's a difficult thing to do because hall of fame is you know um you know, coming from somebody coming from a different country where there is no such thing as hall of fame I am only, you know, it's only what I am told that it is, and it's it's a pretty amazing group of people that are in the Hall of Fame that have um, done a lot, you know, for the sport, in the sport, definitely needs to be some uh, world-slash-national championships in there to uh, to really set them aside from all the other great champions up there. So if you're asking me directly, who would I vote for of the three women? Strictly by... Um, accomplishments at this point it would have to be belinda but like i said i think both of the other two uh deserve to be in there question is when well while we're talking about the hall of fame ava i had always thought that the hall of fame was reserved for great tournament players and this year we have a man that you're very familiar with jimmy mattia nominated and he wasn't that great a tournament player he was more of a action guy what are your feelings on Jimmy being nominated for the Hall of Fame, and should that class of player be nominated? I ain't going to touch that with a 10-foot pole, buddy. Nice <laughs> 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 try, Jerry. No, um, no, there are a lot of players. I mean, if you look down on the list, and I don't believe this is an official list at, at this point. These are some suggested um Players, some have been nominated, um, but I don't. I don't believe that this is a final list that we're looking at at this point. Um, I think that some of these players, again, I was fortunate enough to watch play. Obviously, especially Jimmy, but players yeah. like you know Jersey Red and Ronnie Allen and um, Jimmy, Danny DiLiberto, Steve Cook. I mean, they're all phenomenal players, and I sat in the stands a lot of times just you know, sweating their action, knowing how well they played. Um, but with the criteria that we have, they should be in, you know, the, a separate category, the, the legend category, kind of like uh, um, Minnesota Fats. I mean, he never won the big titles, but he was put in the Hall of Fame uh, with the likes of Willie Moscone and Greenleaf and those guys. So 
do they are they legends of in our sport? Do they deserve all accolades? Absolutely. And Jimmy, um, and and Danny, and some of the other guys had world, you know, legitimate world championships, both at Stardust and um, you know some of the other great tournaments of the time. So there's no question that they deserved that, you know, that. But with the criteria that's put forth to us as far as voting. You know, there's a few other players that probably should go in there first based on that criteria. I do want to say that I agree with you that there needs to be, for lack of a better word to call it, an action wing in the Hall of Fame. Um, Nick, uh, Danny DiLiberto, one of the one of the players on the list this year, has won titles in all four of the major games that are competed. Um, now, you yourself have done the same thing. Can you comment on just how difficult a feat like that is? Well, you certainly have to be able to count higher than nine, I tell you that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and in uh, uh, a lot of the other games are a lot of fun. You uh, uh, you know, most of the other games, you got to pick out which ball you're going to shoot next, which really, <clears throat> to me, makes a much harder game. Uh, uh, just choosing which ball you're going to shoot when you got uh, all the balls or most of the balls on the table. I think a lot of players found that out on the uh, IPT, and uh, and uh, I always found it fascinating playing the other games instead of just uh, being uh, trying to play nine ball all the time. Uh, uh, it just seems, and it seems like a lot of players as you travel around too. It seems like they kind of. You know, they're looking for different things to do all the time instead of just nine ball. One of the games that uh, that Danny has won a title in is one pocket, and you are a big one pocket player, or, or you're known as you know, one of the top one pocket players in, in your time. Um, can you comment on another one of the candidates, Ronnie Allen, and what he brought to the game of one pocket? Yeah, a lot of players think he's the greatest of all time. Uh, uh, I know when I was uh, starting to play pro, he was the king of one pocket. I, n- I don't think I ever seen anybody play him even. What did he do different than the other players did? Well, he really seemed to be able to move uh, a lot of balls uh, in one shot. He seemed to get two and three balls uh, rolling uh, toward his pocket a lot, and and. Uh, he played a different style. He played really aggressive, and and uh, I don't think to this day I've ever seen anybody play quite like what he played. A question to both of you. Um, and neither of you had to wait very long to be inducted into the Hall of Fame once you became eligible. That's not the case with one of our nominees. Alan Hopkins has been nominated now five times, and I don't think anyone doubts that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, although if you do, certainly speak up and say. What do you think what do you think about the induction process in general? Uh, should it be should we uh, allow people to be inducted as young as age 40? And um, how do you think uh, it might affect someone who knows they deserve to be in, like Alan, who keeps getting passed over year after year. Ava, you first. Well, I think that, you know, they have done a lot of work to try to adjust um, the election process and who gets to vote and how it's set up and what is required, et cetera. I think where they fall short is my favorite um, uh, Hall of Fame um, in, my, in, in my favorite sport is for the LPGA, the Women's uh, Golf Association. There is no um, ifs, ands, or buts. It's literally once, you're, once you are a certain age, if you have won what is required, um, X amount of international events, X amount of tour events, that type of thing, you are automatically inducted in the Hall of Fame. That way it takes right. out a lot of the, the voting. I think what's What's wrong with our process is that unless there is, there's a magical number, I think it's 70% of the other person's votes, um, that's the only way two players can get in. And I think it's wrong because I think you take a player like Alan Hopkins, well, some players, people, apparently the voting group of the time, felt Earl was a little bit more 
um, eligible that year. So Earl was voted on in front of Alan, for instance, one year. And then this goes on and on. If there's, you know, next year, look at next year. you got Johnny Archer, Allison Fisher, and Ralph Souquet turning 40 next year. I mean, right. it could literally be three. Whoever doesn't get in this year, it could be easily be three years before they have a chance again because who is more um, eligible than the three of them if you look at their records as far as Absolutely. tournament play goes. And that's what's wrong with it to me, just by doing one and one. There's people who could be passed over for years because as time goes on, other players will be eligible, and all of a sudden people who are really deserve to be in the Hall of Fame get passed over because somebody else is always a little bit, you know, that type of thing. Nick, what do you think, buddy? Well, I think that... uh... Part of the problem is they're starting to put, like she said, uh, uh, the the players she mentioned, uh, especially Johnny. I mean, uh, he certainly should be a shoe-in because simple fact he's probably won more tournaments than anybody ever, and uh, yeah. and so it's going to be tough to run against him. And that's why I think Forty's just too young myself. I I think it's I got put in young and. And that's why I wasn't going to turn down the opportunity, but I really thought that I was too young. And uh, and like a player like Buddy, he went in years after me, and I think he should have really went in way before me. And and uh, I think that happens a lot, where there's a, a lot of younger players got in, and, and some of the older players that deserve it, they're kind of getting bypassed. And because of our system, to add to that, because of our system, we're only really one person gets in, there can be players by. So in other words, there should be, you know, possibly three players one year and none the following two or three or four if nobody meets the required criteria. But to have it as young as we do at 40 and the fact that it's very loose, I think it's one world event you have to win and one, I don't have the papers in front of me, but it's not an awful lot of players meet the criteria. And from then, it's pretty much a popularity contest. And that, I don't think that's right. To, to comment on the, the, the aspect of it being a popularity contest, um, at one time, and probably still to a degree, there was a perceived um, bit of friction between the BCA and Alan Hopkins over the fact that he ran a trade show and the trade show was so important to them, their trade show. Ava, do you think it's hurt his Hall of Fame chances, that history? Um, I don't think that had anything to do with it. I think that some of the things that Alan um, kind of did earlier on, this is going way, way, way back, and I know a lot of it, and as does Nick. Uh, but I don't think that that has to do with it anymore because that was just a, it was a difference of philosophy, yes, but most people who are voting now, weren't even on, I mean, uh, most people who were in the industry at the time when this major friction between Allen and the BCA, they're, they're nowhere near the business anymore. They're long retired. So there's new blood that are voting now. I really don't know why it is now. I don't think this trade show thing really matters that much. But we do have to keep in mind, and I keep reminding it, it is the Billiard Congress of America Hall of Fame. It's not the... Um, you know, it's not the AZ Billiards Hall of Fame, it's not the, the Billiards Digest Hall of Fame, it's not the WPBA or, or uh, PBA or whatever it is now, it, it's the, it's, it's, or the UPA is what I was looking for, and it, it's the BCA Hall of Fame. And that is, what does that mean? Should that continue to be? Should it be a broader, I don't know, but as long as it's the BCA Hall of Fame, you know, the group that is mem uh, members of the BCA set the criteria. Can either of you give us your opinions? Because, frankly, I never got to watch the man play on Steve Cook. I can, but I think you'd, be, you'd better, Nick. You, you play with him more okay. than I got Okay, Steve Cook, uh, he, uh, he really was uh, a tremendous player. And uh, uh, it just that, uh, in his case, I, I don't think he competed a whole lot in tournaments. I mean, he won that Stardust tournament, I think, in 1970. And so part of the problems, it's same way, same way with Alan and Jimmy. I mean, I think both those guys uh, deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, Jimmy Mattia, uh, uh and Alan Hopkins. But the thing is, once you quit playing, it's not as visible. And I think that's what 
that hurts Jimmy and it hurts Alan. And uh, same way with Steve Cook. Uh, he won that Stardust all around, which is phenomenal. He'd be there all the best players in the world at that time, playing nine ball, one pocket, and straight pool. So uh, it's pretty hard to win one of those events. And uh, But uh, part of the problem with that is uh, it, it, it goes back a long way, and people's memories seem to be really short. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a I think that's a great point by Nick is that as phenomenal of, of players as they were and in their day there weren't that many tournaments to play, um, and the only way you're going to make a living was to go out on the road. So these guys are legends in that way. But how do you keep track of it? How you know it's very easy to open up a record book and see what you know what Nick Barner has won or what Avon Ty Lawrence has won or what Allison or Archer. But what did you know? What were those big money matches when everything was on the line, and you know you were putting up your house for sale or not? That that's the kind of thing that those are the legends we have because the sport is what it is. They may not have it in basketball the way that we do. I don't know, but we have these legitimate, incredible characters that we had and champions. There just weren't that many tournaments, and like Nick said, winning the all around back then. Um, I mean, Jimmy won it as, as well, two years, back-to-back at, at the Stardust, and that was a World Open that took, like, two weeks. Yeah, and that was one of the most uh, prestigious tournaments in those days. I exactly. Mean, uh, I mean, uh, to me, Jimmy Mattia is more than qualified. But on paper, the way they, could, they do the criteria now, it's difficult. But we yeah. all know, all the players know that players like... Like Jimmy or or Delaborea, they all deserve, deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. There's no question. Well, let me ask you about another player who's on the list that there's some asterisks beside, and that is Oliver Ortman. Now we all know he's a great player, but in the United States, what he's won is the 1989 and 93 BCA 14 and one championship, the 95 WPA World Nine Ball Championship. The 97 Challenge of Champions, the 2000 Challenge of Champions, and the 2007 Predator Straight Pool Championship. Now, that's what he's done in America. What he's done in Europe is he's been six-time champion in nine ball, five-time champion in straight pool, three-time champion in eight ball. I mean, he's just destroyed his competition in Europe. The question that has to be put on the table is, has he done enough in America to be in the Billiard Congress of America Hall of Fame? Uh, I think that uh, it's a little premature question uh, myself. I, I'll go right back to, I think, 40's too young. Well, and I think that if we could vote multiple players, I would. I think uh, Ortman probably would get an X next to his name in my, in my book, but to um, to put him in, before someone like Alan Hopkins, for instance, or any of these other players we've been talking about, um, and even Vivian and all, I mean, I, I couldn't do it. He, at his age in particular, has he won enough? Absolutely. He has won a world championship. He's won two national events, both in, he's won events both nine ball and in straight pool. That's enough, plus what he's done in Europe. But, um, but Nick, I mean, if, if there was nobody to induct, we've had a couple of years in the past where it's kind of been, you know, Slim Pink, who's up, and, and that's one thing. But if you have players like Bustamante, or you have players that, um, Parika, or, I mean, all this whole list that we have right now to look at, could you take and put in a, a kid that just turned 40 ahead of everybody else that had been waiting to get in? That goes right back to, to the problem, why some players that's really deserving and and uh, several of them on this list and uh, that haven't got in yet that should have been in years ago. And uh, But they, they kind of got bypassed. And... Yeah, I mean, poor old Alan Gilbert's on the list. Um, arguably one of, if not the greatest three-cushion, one of the greatest three-cushion players ever from America. And yet these days hardly anyone knows his name. I mean, his chances of getting in get slimmer every year. Yeah. And what he did, you know, and again, there's been a lot of discussion through the years, the Billiard Congress of America that has been 
not as defined as it is now. It's become more important. If, it, if it's, a, you know, around the world, then there are a lot of players that are more eligible than Alan Gilbert because Alan had a phenomenal career in the United States, but where three cushion billiards was huge in Europe, he was really struggling with, with the greats of the time, like the Sangleys and Kuhlmans and Blumdahl and all these guys. He didn't, you know, on his list, there's no international events, they're all American events. Right. Now, does that mean right. that he doesn't deserve it? Of course not. But I think that that's what the Ability of Congress of America is leaning a little bit more towards. There's been a real struggle with that, from what I understand, about um, great players in the world as opposed to great American, you know, players in America. What have they won here? Yeah, and I think that debate started when we um, inducted Efren Reyes, who no doubt deserves to be there, but it opened a big can of worms. One thing you have to say, though, it's definitely the most prestigious Hall of Fame, and uh, everybody wants to get in it, that's for sure. And uh, and uh, so <clears throat> certainly not everything is bad, i tell you that. I look forward to the day that we have a Hall of Fame, a real Hall Hall of Fame rather than a virtual Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I hope we can get to that point. That That would be absolutely marvelous. And I wonder where it should be. You know, at first you want to say either Chicago, New York, or Philadelphia because those are the cradles of the game. But these days you'd almost want to push to, you'd almost want to say Las Vegas because that's where most of the big tournaments are in America now. I don't know if that's true necessarily. I mean, a lot of, a lot of amateur events have been there for sure and, and quite a few um, professional events too. But, I mean, first of all, it's really finding a place that you can do it where, you know, um, because it shifts all the time. First of all, the BCA office can shift at any moment. And second of all, yeah. um, you know, like you said, pool, there was no, no place on the planet where pool was bigger certain times in, um, in, in the history than New York. But now, billiards is not that big. There's not hardly a pool room to go to in the city. So where is the heart of billiards? That's kind of a hard hard thing to say if, if you're going to go by that. But there definitely should be a, a permanent place. I agree. There's no question. Well, there's some interesting places that could be. I mean, I think if I had, if it were up to me to pick one, I'd, I'd go to Blatt's and say, clear out one floor yeah. of Blatt's <laughs> yeah, and, let, and let's have it there because the place is already a museum. Yeah, it is. And they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, Nick, we've we've touched a couple times on the two Filipino players that are that are on the list this year, uh, Francisco Bustamante and Jose Perica. Um, Perica's had a much longer career, and as Scott Smith likes to refer to him, uh, Perica was the leader of the invasion of Filipino players. Um, which of these two players do you think is more deserving now uh, for the Hall of Fame? Well, I think that Jose Perica, he's been here a lot longer to to me. He's uh, definitely uh, uh, more deserving just because uh, he's been over here a lot longer and played in more tournaments. Nothing against Francisco Bustamante. He's a phenomenal player, too. It's not playing credentials. I just think out of, you know, uh, just pure simple respect that uh, Jose deserves to go in first. Ava? Nick, I want to thank you guys very much for taking time out of your busy schedules to be with us today. And we're looking forward to uh, seeing how this voting in the Hall of Fame turns out this year. And I'm sure we'll see you both in Charlotte at the ceremony. Thank you very much. Thanks for having thank us, you, guys. Thank you, Jerry. Okay, guys. See you later. Thanks, Bye-bye. Mike, Jerry. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Ava. Well, there are a couple of very valuable viewpoints to Hall of Famers. Uh, talking about the Hall of Fame, and I enjoyed what they had to say. One thing we did not mention uh, to them is that another name on the ballot is for the Meritorious Service uh, Award, and there was a long list of nominees for this, including the Janskos and uh, Conrad Berkman. Uh, but um, the nod from the committee went to Pat Fleming of AccuStat Video Productions, and now if uh, more than 50% of all voters agree that the meritori- Meritorious Award should be given this year, then it will indeed go to Pat Fleming. So. 
I would be completely and totally shocked if more than 50% did not vote on Pat. I would be blown away if he did not get in with what he has done for the game. Absolutely. Very deserving. And going back to our interviews, uh, I thought both players mentioned some, uh, made some very strong points. Uh, I, seeing some changes in the way things are going. And, and the changes that we've seen in the last couple of years, I think, are very positive. Um, the way that the nomination and the voting has changed, uh, I think, has been a very good thing. Well, I do too, I, and I, you know, I, I think it's great that the BCA said, okay, we need to let people who really study the game be the people who who nominate and cast votes on this Hall of Fame committee, and so that went to a lot of folks like you and I who are sports writers. Um, the only thing that I would want to look at in the future is that certain news organizations have really loaded up the boat with voters. I mean, there's some news organizations out there that have uh, four or five people who work for them who are involved in this voting and nomination process. I'm not sure that that's not too many from one organization. I would like to see a limit um, on how many an organization, a single organization, can have on the committee. Um, I, I wouldn't even shy away from only being allowed one, which would knock either thee or me out of it. Uh, but I think that five or six is way too many. You may have a point there. I mean, I would certainly, I would certainly hate to see, you know, an organization brought down to one, but I could understand it if it happened. Then again, this isn't like baseball where there's umpteen hundred sports writers out there that cover the game. I mean, there are not that many people knowledgeable no, writers who, who cover no, the game not, of billiards. You could keep an organization from throwing its weight around if you just limited it to three, you know, to the uh, publisher, the editor, and the chief uh, billiard reporter. Well, that might not be a bad idea. I'd love to see the WPA step in and, and create a Hall of Fame that could then be for the entire game. Uh, that'd be great. I'd just like to see a physical Hall of Fame somewhere. Well, when we were talking to Nick and Ava, the thought came to mind, what if they did a traveling thing that went from, well, you would think something that went from major event to major event, but for the men, what tour would you follow? I mean, what constitutes a major <laughs> event? Absolutely. And, no, I'd, I'd really like to see a fixed location so that players like Buddy Hall and Nick could pick a cue that they won a championship with and loan it to that Hall of Fame so that uh, um, people can see it, see the items. Well, you may have been onto something when you mentioned black billiards. I'd love to see someone like Mike Seamus head that up and, yeah. and work with black billiards to do it. I agree. Well, that just about does it for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Mike and I will be back as soon as we can put another show together for you. In the meantime, I'm Jerry Forsyth, and for Mike Howerton, thanks for listening. That's it for Runout Radio.